Now let's all find the gospel according to John. Everybody looking up the book of John. Uh, I really want to thank everybody for your willingness to share in the testimonies what God is doing in your life. It's always a big blessing when I get to visit BCM to be here on Monday and now also Tuesday for the testimony chapel because it really does uh, reveal to us invisible things about the way the Lord is at work. And he certainly is at work. And I really think that what I'm going to be speaking to you about today is a part of what he has been doing, at least since I've been around. I came in last week and, of course, was uh, here for part of the Spiritual Awakening Conference. And just my sense is that the simple point I'm going to make today uh, has a lot to do with what the Lord has already begun to do. First chapter of the book of John, go down with me to verse 22. Then said they unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. Now the one speaking here is John the Baptist. Matter of fact, I can prove that to you just by reading the verses that come before. Look at verse 19. And this is the record of John, meaning John the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? That was their question. Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias or Elijah? He saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? He answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. Now, John the Baptist is very prominent at the very beginning of the New Testament scriptures. In Matthew chapter 3, he's introduced to us after chapters 1 and 2 tell us about the birth of Christ. Right away, his ministry is prominent. In the book of Mark, which opens up with the line, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The beginning of it is the story of the ministry and message of John the Baptist. So he's up there in front. In Luke chapter 1, the whole book begins with the story of the birth of John the Baptist, with the role he was to play in the world and in God's plan. And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what we are told about is what the prophets said that John would be and what John would do. But in the book of John, John the Baptist and his ministry is given providence right at the very beginning. But the question is, who art thou? Who do you say you are? What do you say about yourself that we might tell those who have sent us? And he said, I am the voice. Dear Lord, speak to us today. Lord, your voice, still and small, can communicate to our very spirit. Lord, show us more about your plan for our lives, that we might have the correct vision and act on it. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I wasn't here for the whole Spiritual Awakening Conference, but what I was in on was just 
impacting and good. And some of the messages, I'm not going to re-preach them, I was happy were very practical, right there about where you could walk out of chapel and say, this is what I'll do. And, uh, you know, of course, there was the one or more than one about vision and those three by five cards. And I filled out one too. What is it that uh, God is speaking to you about your future? Now, I want to just say right now, you ought to take seriously what the Lord is speaking to you about while you're at college. Now, if you're like me, you think of, I'm just a little dumb college student. Now, that's correct. Uh, but take seriously what God says to you when you're young. How old was Joseph when God gave him the dreams that actually described his whole life? And I look back, and I'm getting up there in years. I won't, won't say exactly how old I am. Oh, I might as well. Last week, I turned 69. Oh, that's right. Harold Vaughn made me tell you. That's right. But when I was sitting in college and in chapel, the Lord was speaking to me about things that have had to do with my whole life. I'm not telling you I had a dream or where I could have told you what was going to happen, some, but some very basic things about uh, my message that's still being preached today and about where I would be. I, of course, I'm tempted to get diverted here. And tell you, you like to tell your life story, but uh, pretty interesting things I was thinking sitting in chapel that really kind of predicted where I served and what I did for all those years. All I'm saying now is take it seriously. And this idea of the vision is about who are you? Who art thou, John? What do you say for yourself? Well, I'm not the Christ. And I'm not Elijah. Now, there's kind of a but that goes with that. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tells us that if Israel had responded to the gospel as they should have, he would have been Elijah, according to prophecy. But he says, I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet of Deuteronomy 18, which I'm going to bring up in just a minute. He said, that's not who I am. Well, who are you? I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, a reference to Isaiah 40. Now, go back and study that as if you have nothing else to do today. But Isaiah 40 is a very powerful chapter to Israel. And uh, he says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Raise up the low places, bring down the high places, straighten out the crooked places, smooth out the rough places, and God will come, which is a revival message. But if you keep reading, he hears the voice again. Keeps hearing this voice. The voice, a very important thing. And John the Baptist says, that's who I am. I am the voice. Now, the book of John introduces the world to Jesus Christ. He is the world, word. He is the light. He is the lamb. He is the Christ. I'm sure you've studied the book of John. But in introducing us to Jesus Christ, it starts out by introducing us to John the Baptist. Yeah. Verses 6 through 8. Who is John the Baptist? The witness. He was sent to bear a witness. To bear a witness to that light. He was not that light. But he was sent to bear witness of the light that all men him through him might believe. In chapter 1, he's also the announcer. 
You know, uh, TV programs at least used to always have an announcer. We often became familiar with the name of that announcer. You know, and he would, and now welcome to the such and such show also on the radio. That's who he was. I'm the announcer. Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. I'm the witness, a witness. I'm the announcer of the coming Christ. Then I love this one, chapter 3. I'm the bridegroom's friend. They said, did you know that the one you pointed out over there by the water, that he's baptizing more people than you are? He says, it's okay with me. He says, uh, I'm the friend of the bridegroom. I don't have the bride. He said, but I rejoice in the joy of the bridegroom. What I imagine when I hear that metaphor is this. You come up through college four years. You're going to get a degree, a lot of knowledge, and you thought you'd get a wife. You thought that was part of the plan. Now, you can pick up a wife anywhere along the way, probably, but it would kind of be nice to pick up one or find one and be united to one in college. But now here you are. You're a senior, and there's no courtship, no engagement, nothing planned. Okay, but you've got a pal. Oh, man, he is head over heels in love. And it's all set up with her family, and there's the wedding date, and you're going to be a part of it. You have part of it. Maybe you're going to give him a ride. Maybe you're going to do this. You're going to help decorate. I don't know what. Maybe you have planned some kind of a trick on him uh, forever. I don't know. But you're there. And there you are. And down deep inside, you would never say it. You kind of say, wish this was my wedding day. But you know, my friend, look how happy he is. Look how in love they are. Look at the look on their face. Look, he, this has got to be the happiest day of his life, and I'm happy for him. John the Baptist says, that's me. I don't have the bride, but I rejoice with the bridegroom that I had a little part in introducing her to him. Prepare the way of the Lord. And then he says, he must increase. I must decrease. I'm not interested in you paying attention to me. You pay attention to him. See, I'm, it's like, I'm nothing. I'm a voice. That's all I am, a voice. I am nothing. And John's significance was his insignificance. See, and I matter because I don't matter. What an amazing truth that we all ought to take for our own. Now, here are things to think about, a couple of them. Number one, conveying a message, that's what a voice does, is a significant function. It's no small thing. In John 1, you could sum it up by saying Jesus is the word. John is the voice. Jesus is the word. John is the voice, and that's not insignificant. When I went off to college, God had called me to preach two years before in my own home with a Bible correspondence course I got from a radio preacher. I came to understand my need, and I trusted Christ and was born again. But I tell you, I was a weak and ignorant baby Christian when I showed up at college. 
Man, I'm going to tell you the truth. I was scared to death. This was a Christian college. Nearly everybody there was entirely sanctified. And there was an atmosphere that was just great. But me, I really thought I was going to get myself expelled. These first few days, I'll say something or do something, and they'll throw me out. In the dormitories, they had a sign up on the hall that would say, if you are not a spiritual asset at Bob Jones University, you are a spiritual liability. And every time I thought, that's me, I'm the spiritual liability. Oh, I, was, I could tell you a lot of interesting things. I wasn't even positive I was saved. Nobody helped me with assurance. Two years in a Baptist church. Nobody, when I got baptized, my Southern Baptist pastor never even checked out my salvation. I would say, but... So I walked on campus and the revival meetings at the beginning of the year. I thought, this will help me. I'll be sure I'm saved. Actually, what I thought was, if you're a student at Bob Jones University, you're sure you're saved. And that'll fix it by being a Bible college student. But I, and my doubts got deeper. And things that people like you would say to me made me feel worse. And, uh, uh, and the revival meetings didn't help me. And I would hear things like, when I gave my heart to Jesus, I would think to myself, is that what I did? What does that mean, give your heart to Jesus? And I'd hear people say, I was at a revival meeting and sweat broke out on my forehead. I knew I was going to hell. And then at the invitation, I don't even know how I got to the front. It was like somebody picked me up. I hit the altar, and the weight of the world came off my shoulders, and the sun broke, and I knew I was born again. I thought, I didn't, that didn't happen to me. I was at home with a correspondence course. And I was more confused than ever. But uh, a couple of weeks after the revival meetings, we had chapel. We had a pastor come to chapel, and he decided to speak on John 3.36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And incidentally, that's a quote from John the Baptist right in this part of the book of John. He made it clear. Everybody's either going to heaven or hell, and here's the difference. If you believed on the Son, put your faith in the Son of God, you have everlasting life. If you haven't done that yet, then the wrath of God continues to be on you. So the way you're saved is putting your trust in Jesus Christ, and he made it so clear. I walked out of chapel. I thought over my experience. I said, two years ago, I don't even remember the words of my prayer. But you know what I did do? I trusted Jesus Christ with my soul. I know I did. And in front of the post office, I said, Dear Lord, you know I'm not sure I'm saved. I think I am now that I understand what I heard preached. Not sure about it, but I'm sure I'm a sinner. And I'm sure you'll receive me if I receive you. I think I did that two years ago, but if I didn't, I'm going to do it right now. And I nailed it down that I was saved. And you know what? My whole life had been blessed by that sermon and by that decision that I made to trust Jesus Christ for my assurance. It's a great thing. Who preached that sermon? I have no clue. I don't know what his name is. I don't remember what he looked like. It was just a chapel speaker. But I'll tell you, he rescued me. You know what he was? A voice. One of you testifying today, I certainly noticed this, got up and said, you know one thing that really impacted me at the conference? I don't remember which one of them said it. 
I don't even remember which one of them said it. It was a voice. Here's Moses. He is supposed to be the leader. He is not eloquent. He would not impress you with his delivery. But you know what he was? A voice. He was in touch with God. He could tell you what God was telling the people to do. He gave the commandments. That's all he was. Don't you see the point here? A voice. Doesn't sound like much. John the Baptist says, I'm nothing. All I am is a sound, vocal cords, articulation, words. That's my life. It isn't, what do you do? It's, who are you? I am a voice. Now, I don't want to get controversial. That has to do with the gift of prophecy. Even back in Deuteronomy, where he says a prophet will come. What is and always has been the gift of prophecy? Someone who prophesies in the Bible is one who speaks under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And so many times in the Bible, Old and New Testament, when the Spirit of God comes down on someone, they prophesy. Know that? Numbers 11, the 70 that were chosen, the Spirit of God came upon them and they prophesied. Remember Saul? Is Saul among the prophets? Remember the day of Pentecost? I will pour out my spirit upon you and your sons and your daughters shall. 1 Corinthians 14 talks about the gift of prophecy. And uh, it's about a voice. Paul said, I would rather with my voice communicate the truth to the people than speak a thousand words in an unknown tongue. It's about a voice saying something. Something of real significance, important things to say. The gift of prophecy. Now, hold on. I personally don't really think that the women at the Corinthian church were giving scripture. The Bible says that they prophesied. Did you ever read that? Did you ever read about the daughters of Philip the Evangelist prophesied? Prophecy means God using your voice to communicate truth. The highest level of prophecy is inspiration. The Bible says all scripture is prophecy. The highest level of prophecy is thus saith the Lord, word for word dictation. Now, none of us are doing that. That quit with John the Apostle dying. But prophecy does take place now where yielded people are used in a very important way as a voice. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, the Bible says the people of Israel missed the Lord. They had gotten away from him. The uh, worship center for Jehovah was split up when they lost the Ark of the Covenant to the Philistines. You may remember the story. Now the Ark wasn't back yet. There had been no formal correct worship of Jehovah for 20 years. And the children of Israel lamented after the Lord. They missed him. Then there was a young fellow. Remember him? Samuel. Ever since he was a kid, people paid attention to what he said. And at this important time, 1 Samuel 7 says he stood up and he said this. In so many words, he said this. He said, if we really want to get back to the Lord, we need to give up our idols. Duh. He said the obvious. 
Are we really longing for our relationship with the Lord? Well, then why do we still have little Dale sitting around our house? He said the obvious. And the voice brought a revival. Bought a remarkable revival. They said, what shall we do? He said, let's call for a prayer meeting. They all got right and clean with God. It was a revival that came from a voice. Another time of apostasy in the book of Judges that led to the rising up of Gideon. Judges chapter 6. We all remember about the angel coming to him, calling him thou mighty man of valor. He says, what do you mean, mighty man of valor? For one thing, I'm nobody. And for another thing, our nation is being cast off by God. We've blown it, so he said. But did you ever read that before the angel ever came to Gideon, there was a prophet of the Lord who came to the Israelites and preached. And he said, do you know why we're having all this trouble? He said, ye have not obeyed the voice of the Lord. That's why. And disappeared from the scene. What's his name? The deliverer, the judge was Gideon. What was the name of the prophet who rebuked the people in the name of the Lord before Gideon came? We don't know. Doesn't matter. He was a voice. A very important voice. And a voice is an important thing. Not a name. Like, what's your name? Not a gift. Boy, she is gifted. Boy, I'll tell you how eloquent. Not a gift, not a name, not a personality. Just a voice, vocal chords, communicating a message. No small thing. And you know what? What we were asked to do with our little card was, it was like saying, who are you? I'm an evangelist. I'm a pastor. I'm going to serve with some man somewhere in the world as his wife. I'm a prayer warrior. Well, you know what? John the Baptist, one of the greatest men that ever lived. Never was a man born of woman greater than John the Baptist, he said. You know who I am? I have a voice. What a wonderful, worthwhile thing to be. Number two, God speaks to people. I'd like you to turn here. Turn to 1 Peter 4. Run down to verse 10 where he's talking about spiritual gifts. I want you all to have it. See it in black and white. Okay, let's look on the same page. 1 Peter 4, 10. As every man has received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God, the mouthpiece of God. Oracle is a word that was used in the building of the temple for the holy of holies. Because sometimes from behind the veil, there came a voice. God says, you are his temple. 
and you can open your mouth as an oracle of God. Now, I hope you understand, I'm not talking about inspiration. I'm not talking about you can say the same thing as if you were writing a book of the Bible. But I am saying the Bible says God can use your voice. Matter of fact, think about this. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. It's as if it says this. Don't open your mouth unless it's God talking. You would at least agree with me that I shouldn't say anything today that God wouldn't say. I shouldn't say anything tempting to you, anything provoking to you, anything unscriptural to you, not from the pulpit, but anywhere. Should I? So I ought to say something in line with God's truth. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. That's what we expect a preacher will do in sermons, and we know he does. Taking a survey. How many of you have heard a preacher, maybe a very ordinary preacher, how many of you ever heard a preacher where at least part of the sermon was right to you? Matter of fact, you were a little bit stunned. And he didn't know. And you walked in with a question. He gave you a direct answer. You walked in with a problem. And you know what? He addressed the problem. It couldn't have been him. It couldn't have been. How many of you have ever had that experience? Raise your hand. We all have. Happens all the time. I think that's the gift of prophecy. See, but not just sermons, but counsel in the dorm room. Girls, too. Open your mouth. Let God speak. I remember early in my traveling, I had a dilemma. Trying to figure something out, I asked my wife. I usually follow her advice because, you know what, she's smarter and more spiritual than me. And uh, so uh, she said, no, just do this. I wasn't sure. It involved all kinds of stuff, so I was trying to figure it out. I got stuck at the airport at uh, International Falls, Minnesota, which is right on the border of Canada. I actually had preached in Canada, came across to get a plane, cheaper plane, to fly to wherever I was going next. And my flight was canceled. I had to wait for the next flight several hours. And a pastor from International Falls was asked by the pastor in Canada to stay there with me, kind of to babysit, I guess. I'm not sure what. But we were, I'm all right. And he said, no, I'll, I'll be, I'd like to fellowship with you. So we talked for a while, talked about everything in the world. Incidentally, I almost brought this up in class. <laughs> uh, he was, he's a Canadian who's a Baptist pastor in Minnesota who's the first one that confronted with me confronted me with the idea, how can you American Christians justify the Revolutionary War? Aren't you supposed to honor the king? The first time I ever had that conversation was that. It was interesting. So we had that conversation. But I still got along in Christian love. We were there for a while. So we were a couple of hours. And then he says, oh, you think I should be praying for you about? And there was this thing, a dilemma. Got to make a decision. Not an easy one. Complicated. So I said, oh, yeah, well, since we're sitting here, let me tell you. Here's this, here's that. And I have to decide this or that. And I'm not, I don't have experience on this, and I'm praying about it, but I'm sure, not sure what to do. He said, here's what you do. And he didn't say, here's an idea, here's an option. He said, here's what you do. You do this and do that. It had to do with my first trip to Cambodia. He said, you do this and do that, and this will happen. Now, he was so firm about it. 
that I was taken back. And you know what I came home to saying? You know, I think the Lord spoke to me through that guy at the airport. And you know what I did? I did this, and I did that, and this happened. It was all, we all looked happily ever after. <laughs> a little closer home, when I was a pastor, uh, Pastor Van Gelder and I got to know each other a little bit better than I had known him before. Some phone calls, and he actually, this is hard to believe, would sometimes ask my advice. It's a little hard to believe he's a very wise man. But I'm talking about a phone call where I made, where I was asking him for advice about something in the church that was hard to deal with. And so I was giving him some information and asking him some direct questions. And on the phone, folks, Brother Van Gelder, and I don't know if he'll remember this, he very, very straightly said, this is what's happening, Brother Flanders, and here's what you must do. When I hung up the phone, and this is back in the old days, it wasn't something in my pocket, it was attached to the wall. When I hung up the phone, I looked at Tony, and I said, Tony, I think I just heard from God. Now, I don't mean he's God, but he's a voice. And it had a very, very good effect. When I listened to the voice, and I'm going to tell you, if I'm crippled and I can't walk, if I'm ugly and nobody likes to look at me, if I'm not gifted or talented, if I can't pass my next test, I'm not trying to encourage you in those directions. <laughs> if I can be a voice that God uses, that is significant. He said, every idle word will come to judgment. And our talking makes a difference. And we pray every day. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and that includes what we say. So number three, we ought to volunteer to be a voice. Now that has to do with everything else we're learning right around here. It has to do with your vision. Part of my life today is to be a voice. Maybe all day long I'll keep my mouth shut. For some of us, that would be a wonderful response to an invitation. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Because I don't want to say anything that isn't God. You know, I can say people things that would uh, mislead people. Not intentionally, I say. Another excuse. But you know what we need to do? We need to pause and say, what shall I say, Lord? You know, and I don't believe it's inspiration, but I believe I can say, would you give me the very words? I don't know how to say this. Throughout the day, has to do with your vision, has to do with your life. See, stay clean. One of the reasons why I need to be cleansed and purged every day is because I'm a voice. You know, if I'm not right with God and not connected to the Lord in any way, shape, or form, I'm not going to say anything that he says, am I? I'm going to blab, 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 blab. Blah, 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 all day long, like a lot of us do. Talk, 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 blah, 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 blah. Certainly do more harm than good. But you know, that's one of the reasons why we need to stay clean. So that we can use our voice. That's why we need to stay in touch, in step with Jesus. That's part of it. See, what am I going to say? How will my voice be used? Use your voice. Volunteer to be used. 
for revival, like Samuel, state the obvious. What are you talking about? Maybe somebody you know. Now, when you talk for the Lord, we're taught, especially Galatians 6, that we need to be humble about it. And other places, we need to be respectful. The Bible says, I'm not to rebuke an elder, but exhort him. See, as a father. That doesn't mean keep your mouth shut. There are times when the younger need to speak to the elder. When church members need to say a word to their pastor. But they need to be humble and respectful and spirit-filled when they do it. But God can use your voice. Sometimes somebody needs to say something. Now don't say something because you're worked up about it. You know what? If you're going to give your roommate a piece of your mind, more likely you can't afford it. That's not what this is. This is a solemn ministry, kind of like Samuel stated the obvious. That might be family. Somebody needs to talk to dad, like a son that honors him. But something needs to be said, and it's not just my frustration. It's God saying, you're the voice. A voice is a pretty great thing to be all your life. Someday up in heaven, I'll thank that pastor. I don't even know what he looks like. I think I'll know because I'll know as I am known. There he is. That's the man God used. He wondered why he was preaching on John 3:36 at Bob Jones University. All these kids are saved. He didn't know he was directly answering my questions in meeting ID, but he was yielded. He was a voice. That's a great thing to be. And sometimes it's right here. Uh, not just for revival, but for Jesus. You know, my pastor likes to point out how Philip the deacon was told, told to join himself to the eunuch's chariot. That's all he was told. Go back and read it. Acts 8. Join thyself unto his chariot. He ran up and jumped up on the chariot. Then the rest of it wasn't something God told him to do. He said the man was reading Isaiah 53. How many remember the story? And then Philip just says, do you understand what you're reading? How can I accept some man guide me? What are you reading? He reads it. He says, of whom does the prophet write? Of himself or some other man? And he told him about Jesus. My pastor points out the fact, Philip was in the habit of doing that. All God said was, jump up on the chariot, and he took it from there. <laughs> he said, do you understand what you're reading in the Bible? Because he was in the habit of being a voice for Jesus, saying a word. Did you know they won't arrest you for witnessing? Yet. Did you know you can speak to a perfect stranger, especially if they're polite? Did you know that you could do that? Some of the most exciting experiences of your life is when you get somewhere and you see somebody and you feel the leading of the Lord and you open your mouth and actually say something and find out it was at the right time, the right place. You know what? There are people in this room who need to be a voice, and I'm not just talking about someday. I, my prayer is that all of us will volunteer for our whole life in our vision. I want to be a voice. That's what I want to be, wherever you put me. I want to be a voice you can use, but a voice for change. Be humble, respectful, spirit-filled, direct. 
but where there ought to be a change. And where it's private, but you ought to say, you know, would you take a word from a friend? You worry me. There are people in this room who can do so much good for other people in this room more than the people who stand up in front of you because God has told you about the need and you can be the voice. And it's no small thing to be a voice. Why don't we just bow our heads, can we? Time's up here.